Hey everyone, and welcome back to the BT Powerhouse Podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit, as always, coming to you. It's March 20th, 2018, and we are flying high uh, between the NCAA tournament's opening weekend and the second weekend. Um, we'll have a little bit of an abbreviated podcast tonight since we're only focusing on, on one topic, um, but we have an exciting show and we're going to have David on from our SB Nation Texas A&M site to help us break down the, the Wolverines and Aggies. Uh, David, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Um, for those who aren't as familiar with, uh, with your site and what you do, uh, why don't you give us a little background on uh, how you got into it, uh, what you guys do, and uh, why people should check you out, I guess. Sure. So the site I write for, like you mentioned, the A&M SB Nation site, Good Bull Hunting. Uh, we've made our hay by being a, a bit offbeat and irreverent. It's, it's not always the place <laughs> for the most serious statistical analysis. Uh, you can usually find, you're just as likely to find X's and O's as you are to find uh, a ridiculous Photoshop concept for a new uniform. So that's kind of, we, we try to straddle that line. <laughs> but they, uh, they threw up a bat signal for some basketball help a few years ago, and I consider myself uh, if not a traditionally schooled basketball fan, certainly an A&M basketball enthusiast, and I was all too happy to sign up. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, so obviously it's it's a good time to be a Texas A&M uh, hoops fan. Um, Texas A&M, they, they're in the West region uh, along with the Wolverines. They open up with a, a solid win over Providence, and then they back it up with a blowout win over North Carolina. Um, we'll get into, uh, you know, sort of what happened this season from start to finish, uh, but how are fans feeling? What's the excitement level uh, about this Texas A&M team? As you might imagine, people are absolutely beside themselves, uh, given that <laughs> the, the extent of that second half, uh, the second half of that game against North Carolina, uh, they never got it within 17 once we had pushed the lead to 20. So it was that level of dominance and the fact that North Carolina never really made that token run that you can sometimes see the better team make to push it under 10, under eight, and really make the, make the challengers sweat. The fact that we had an answer literally every time they even started to put together even the smallest run, I think that got people really excited. And the other component is that whenever they started to, to press and trap aggressively, that's caused A&M some problems in the past. Uh, we'll revisit this topic when we start hitting strengths and weaknesses. But uh, with the loss of our grad transfer, Dwayne Wilson, we're a little light on traditional ball handlers. And the fan base, and myself in particular, we were thrilled with the poise we showed in those last three or four minutes, taking every last bit of time off the play clock and getting a good look at the same time. That can be really tough to do in a pressure situation. And the fact that we did that at every single time of asking down the stretch, it has people really excited. Definitely, and, and rightfully so. That That's about as, as impressive of a win as you're going to get uh, an NCAA tournament blowout of the defending champs. Um, but let, let's take a step back here for a second. Um, you know, a lot of people in Big Ten country aren't as familiar with A&M for obvious reasons. I know the Aggies matched up with Penn State very early in the year, um, but it's been a bit of a... a at least from the outside looking in, it looks like it was a bit of a weird season. Um, what, what, do you make, what do you make of this year? Um, you know, uh, the team starts off 11-1, and one and then they lose five straight. I mean, what is there any explanation that, that you have for some of these highs and lows? Uh, 
what what I guess what do you make of this team uh, from start to finish? You know, heading into the tournament. I can tell you this from the inside looking in, it was also a weird season. So that <laughs> assessment is accurate. We had uh, we started off like you mentioned, it was the highest of highs. We we opened the season, we drew that. Uh, you know, ESPN tends to pull one game to the front for it's kind of an early evening, 4 p.m., 5 p.m. start. So we effectively kicked off the college basketball season with that neutral site game in Germany against West Virginia. And we effectively did to West Virginia what we did to North Carolina. We ran them off the, off the floor. I think it was a 22-point victory by the end. Uh, and to, to start from there and to fly into an 11-1 and start where our only loss was a three-point loss at Arizona, uh, people were predictably – they were feeling great. And, and then the wheels completely fell off. Uh, we lost seven of nine as we kind of made that turn into the new year. And there was legitimate talk about Billy Kennedy's job security and whether it was something we would be able to turn around. And we responded with our biggest midseason week of the year when we we won at Auburn and then ran Kentucky off the floor uh, at Reed Arena three nights later, which, of course, meant that we immediately lost our next three and it was time to panic again. (laughs) So it's been it's been really, really nuts. And. there were some people who truly had jumped off the wagon when we hit that second losing streak. And we were in a situation where some were saying we had to win out to make the dance at which which point we did, we won out. We won those last three coming home in the SEC regular season to finish nine and nine, uh, grabbing an underwhelming nine seed in the SEC and ultimately bowing out to a, uh, that truly spectacular Colin Sexton end to end play that effectively put Alabama in the dance that, that knocked us out in the opening round of the SEC tournament. So I think as we entered the dance, people looked at us as a maybe round of 32, maybe not, might not even be able to get by Providence. That felt like it would have felt right for our regular season, if that makes sense. And so that's part of why the game against UNC just blew everyone away. It's almost like we hadn't seen that ceiling in so long that we forgot it was there. And then it came back at the most opportune time. Yeah, and let, let's talk about that UNC game uh, just for a minute or two. You know, obviously, again, I, I'm really not trying to, to be hyperbolic about this, but extremely impressive. I mean, the game was really never in doubt, uh, you know, beyond the opening minutes. It ends up being a 21-point win uh, against the Tar Heels, and I believe the game was in Charlotte as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's even more impressive uh, considering the, the fans' support there for North Carolina. Um, however, you know, on the devil's advocate side, uh, you know, people wonder if maybe this was a little bit of a fluke, if maybe it was just a lucky matchup. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Do you think this was just kind of a fluke, or, or is this a legitimate, just uh, dominating performance, I guess? I think it's both, if that's possible. Uh, it's fluky <laughs> in that we've hit our ceiling. We've hit this ceiling so seldom that it could be argued that we probably won't hit it again, and it might appear just well above our station and something that we can't carry forward. But when we hit that ceiling, we are that good, and that's part of what has people so excited. It was a combination of the fact that we hit that ceiling at the perfect time, and the matchup itself was really pretty interesting, uh, the fact that, North Carolina also relies on two bigs. Uh, as I'm sure you guys have discussed, that you, we're seeing that less and less often. You're more likely to find uh, a stretch four or maybe just one big man and four shooters than you are to find sh- two traditional bigs and an offense that tries to go to the rim as often as UNC does. And as, we, as everybody's noted over the years, Roy Williams, he's comfortable winning a game 90 to 85, right? 
he's not he hasn't made his hay on defense. He'll he'll outscore you, and he, he's perfectly comfortable in that world. Uh, when they couldn't get to the rim, and when they couldn't get their usual looks inside, it felt like UNC really didn't have a viable alternative. It was just something they flat out weren't used to. And the fact that Davis and Williams just completely patrolled the paint on both ends, completely cleaned up the glass, it put North Carolina in a position where they're used to imposing their will and they couldn't impose their will anymore. And I think it was their inability to adjust, maybe we'll call it, that and the fact that we were at one of the highest levels I'd seen us rebound all year, it put them in, in some trouble. Now, I think the fluky part of the game is the fact that, like I referenced earlier, that they never came back at all. That certainly is not indicative of how Roy Williams coaches or how much talent is on that UNC team. But I do think that even if North Carolina had played a much better game, I think the matchup and the effectiveness of our bigs down low, I I think we still would have won even if North Carolina had shot as, let's say, their usual percentage from, from the field. I still think we would have pulled it out. Yeah, yeah, I I tend to agree. Um, so yeah, so we we've talked about sort of what's happening, you know, up and down for most of the season, um, but the team appears to be hitting on all cylinders. Uh, so give us the scouting report. Um, what what does Texas A&M do well? Uh, what do they not do as well? Who are the main guys that uh, you know Big Ten and Michigan fans should be watching for uh, as we head into the Sweet Sixteen? For us, it all starts down low. Uh, our two bigs, uh, Tyler Davis was a first-team All-SEC player, and he's a guy that has he's had the footwork since the day he walked onto campus. He, in a world where traditional post moves are going by the wayside, this was a guy that was taking SEC seniors to school on the block from the day he walked on campus. And he's, uh, he's a junior now. He's only gotten better. He's continued to get in better and better shape. I think he's at the lowest playing weight of his life, even lower than he was his junior and senior year of high school when he was a somewhat overweight big who just made his hay by being bigger than everybody. Uh, And you're going to have to watch out for him down low. He generally gets a good look every time he's single covered, but he's also not explosive, if that makes sense, right? He's a below-the-rim player. It's part of why he hasn't really gotten a fair look. Uh, To say fair is incorrect, but it's part of why he's still here, right, is that he doesn't have any of the traditional skill sets that you see from, from an NBA big. Uh, and I, I say that to set up the other big, Robert Williams. He's the antithesis of Tyler Davis in every way. It's all raw athleticism. He can jump out of the building. He'll grab five to six offensive rebounds a night. He was the SEC. He's now the two, two-time SEC defensive player of the year. But he's not exactly fluid down low. And to say their games complement each other, they, they don't really complement each other that well on offense but it's a great mix to have on defense because Davis can hold his own in the post in one-on-one situations. Uh, Williams is one of the best help side defenders in the entire league, for my, in my opinion, or in the entire nation, in my opinion. And we go as they go. Uh, the, the rest of the team is a little uh, – can be dicey at times. Our outside shooting is admittedly streaky. When we're shooting well, particularly when DJ Hogue is pulling up in transition, uh, when our, our freshman point guard TJ Starks, when he's pulling up at the right time, uh, our offense can be a force to be reckoned with, but the shooting isn't always there. And since we lost Dwayne Wilson, as I referenced earlier, the decision-making isn't always there. We no longer have that point guard that's going to take care of the ball. We have uh, in, in Starks, we have a guy that's going to get you 15 points, five assists and five turnovers, right? So it's not, it's not that careful. We'll always get a good look uh, point guard that you can typically see uh, in the sweet 16, 
I think if, if things don't go well for us against Michigan, that will be our undoing. The turnover bug tends to bite us at the worst possible time. It's part of why I was so pleasantly surprised coming down the stretch against UNC. So it's, if it doesn't go well, it'll be a combination of, of the shooting coming back down to earth a little bit and the ball handling and the, uh, the turnovers perhaps causing some problems. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess um, let's, let's talk a little bit uh, about this game. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I would say, uh, you know, you're not a Michigan expert, so to speak. Um, but for me, you know, what I'm looking for here is I, I think the battle in the front court is obviously going to determine the game. Um, you know, how Michigan tries to guard uh, the two big men. You know, Michigan's not a huge team up front. Uh, Wagner is a very much a stretch uh, type of big man. Um, do you, uh, what, what's your opinion on how Texas A&M has handled sort of uh, the more of the stretch bigs this year uh, defensively? Uh, you think they've done a good job? Um, have opponents got them, you know, out of sorts by pulling them out to the perimeter? Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that issue at all? My thoughts are that it is an issue. <laughs> it's something that okay. uh, it, it's it's a very good counter uh, to when we try to play both both bigs at the same time. Uh, our other big man Tony Troca, he can shoot and he it, he gives us more flexibility on offense. He's sometimes our response when the opposition goes smaller or when the opposition gets more shooting from the four or from the five. But if if you pull Tyler Davis away from the basket you're going to have success, right? So if, if Wagner can consistently pull him out 18 to 20 and stick some jump shots, uh, A&M is going to have some problems defensively. And I think uh, the, the lack of alternatives I referenced from UNC, right? The fact that when their game plan didn't work, they didn't really have an alternative option. From what I've seen from Michigan, from what I've read, their offense is pretty versatile. I don't think they're going to be stuck in, stuck in a rut if, if they try to just go at the rim over the course of 40 minutes and if that doesn't work, I don't think they'll be in a scenario where they don't know what else to do. That often seems pretty versatile. Uh, so between that and the fact that they can certainly D up at a higher level than North Carolina can, uh, I believe I saw that they're the, is, is it the top rated Ken Palm adjusted? Is that, uh, that's still left in the tournament? I, I believe I saw that somewhere or something similar to that. Uh, I think that yeah. that's going to help them. And it's part of why, I see this as, as a bit of a problem. I think Michigan's ability to D up and the likelihood that we won't quite perform at the same level on back, you know, it, it, twice in, in four days might ultimately be our undoing. I would have to say I, I tend to agree with the Vegas line of uh, Michigan by three and a half, four. I've, I've seen it bounce back and forth. That seems about right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's flip it. You know, that obviously could be a problem. And I, I want to add it in as well. I, I forgot to discuss, but I think the battle on the boards is going to be really fascinating in this game. Texas A&M, outstanding offensive rebounding team. Michigan, outstanding defensive rebounding team. Uh, so who wins there is going to be really entertaining uh, to watch as well. Um, but so let, let's flip this for a second. We talked about something that, you know, Michigan could do and maybe make Texas A&M a little uncomfortable. Um, what, is there anything that you think Texas A&M is going to be able to do uh, that's going to make Michigan a little uncomfortable and you see as a potential path uh, to victory? I think it's Michigan's lack of a second reliable big. I, I admittedly don't know quite as much about the Wolverines as, as you, uh, I imagine you or many of your listeners. Is it fair to assume that, the defensive, uh, the defensive ability at the four and the five drops 
Prudy significantly beyond the starting five. Is that a fair assumption? Um, I, I would do you say see a, them a as little the. Um, I would say a little the inverse. Uh, to be act, to be honest, I Teske, uh, okay. John Teske, he's the back he's the backup big man. Um, he's he's a really good defender. Um, but his he's pretty limited offensively. Um, Wagner, uh, okay defender, really skilled offensively. Um, the four spot is kind of a, a weird one. Uh, they play, they really just play a guard there. Uh, it, it's kind of a little weird, yeah. but so yeah, yeah, a little, a little inverse in my opinion, but. But in a, in a larger sense, so that aligns with what I've seen, the fact that they're generally, is it safe to assume they're generally not on the floor together that often? No, no, never, never. Okay. And, and, and that might be our path in, right? Because we, we will try to play Davis and Williams often and we'll it'll basically be on the other team to get us out of that look so if if we're if we're getting uh, our high percentage looks inside the paint and michigan isn't really able to shoot us out of that lineup i think that could be a big problem for for the wolverines yeah yeah um i I tend to agree i i think uh you know michigan if they're if they're gonna attack the two big lineup, it's got to be on Wagner uh, to make plays. So I, I think he is the X factor to me as far as Michigan's concerned in this one. Um, but let's let's spin off of that, I, I guess, for a second here. It's just a a, um, a last comment. Um, obviously, this is a, a great run for Texas A&M. You know, uh, certainly, uh, I, I would have to think the the best run in quite some time here. Uh, what what would it mean uh, to take down Michigan and advance to the Elite Eight uh, for the Texas A&M program? It would mean everything. Uh, we've never made the Elite Eight in program history. This this will be our sixth Sweet 16 appearance and 0-5 and in Sweet 16 games up to this point. So to break through to the Elite Eight, that's everything. We've had uh, a slew of first and second round appearances in the last dozen years. Uh, we had a, a nice run through maybe 06 through 11 or 12, where we were one of a handful of teams to, to make it six years in a row. But none of those really materialized, right? We didn't turn any of those, any of those runs in beyond the Sweet 16, if that makes sense. So given that that's been what's held us back to, to finally break through would, would mean a great deal. And as you mentioned at the outset, everyone's got one eye on the bracket. Everyone on this half, they think they can make it to the national title game. So it's uh, for my money. It's certainly fair for A and M fans to look at this and to think that Michigan is the best team remaining on this half of the bracket, and getting by them could could mean a path to the national title game. Yeah, I mean, with with all the upsets in the the West and the South, I mean, it's hard not to to think any of these teams can can make a run here. Um, who knows? Maybe Loyola Chicago will will end up in the national championship. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, uh, David, oh, I have to. Um, yeah. any, Oh yeah. Um, any, any final thoughts here on uh, Michigan, Texas A&M uh, from the Texas A&M perspective or uh, what, what you're looking forward to the most, I guess. For me, it's almost, can we, can we keep our ceiling going for more than one game? Uh, I, I would say we've hit this level four times and every time we hit this level, there was never a chance that we were going to lose. And this is against West Virginia and North Carolina at Auburn and home for Kentucky. That's four games against really good teams. Four times we were playing at a level where the outcome was never in question. That's really the question. For, so that's, that's the outlook of the A&M faithful at this point is we've seen what we can do 
And there's a general sense that if, if we bring our A-plus game, that we're going to win. Um, now, I think it's a little unfair of us to assume that's going to happen again, and I think it's going to be tight for many of the reasons that we've both mentioned. But it's, it's rare, let me put it this way, it's, it's rare for A&M basketball fans to be in that position, right? Typically, when, when you're a fan of A&M basketball, you don't have to get too far into the tournament before you're starting to rely on the opposition to crumble, right? You generally think that your A game's not good enough and that you're going to need some help. So for us to be in this position where, where our ceiling is just blowing tournament quality teams off the floor, that's, that's new territory for us. And that's, that's the key, right? If, if, if we can, if we can bring that effort twice in five days, we could be looking at the first elite eight in program history. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in the, the words of the great Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof. Uh, so, um, but, uh, David, any, uh, where, where can people check out your stuff? Uh, can they check you out on Twitter? Um, any, any background info on you? Sure. Appreciate that. So as I mentioned, I'm the, the basketball editor at Good Bull Hunting, which is at GB Hunting, the Texas A&M SB Nation site. Uh, my, my personal Twitter where, I'll get a little more vulgar about basketball when I'm not running the master is uh, gig them. Oh eight G I G T H E M zero eight. And we have an Aggie hoops podcast on SoundCloud, uh, the Aggie hoops podcast run by a couple of us who uh, tend to dive in on a weekly basis and talk X's and O's. It's something that we've enjoyed. It's our first year running it. So we'll have an episode up tomorrow uh, with, with more about this game. If people are looking for uh, an extended version of what you and I talked about today. Awesome. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. Have a good one. Um, as a reminder to everyone, that was uh, David from uh, SB Nation's Texas A&M site. Highly recommend checking them out uh, if you're interested at all in Texas A&M and obviously Thursday's matchup between the Aggies and the Wolverines. Um, I'm just going to add a few more comments on this matchup. We'll have another one, obviously, for Purdue and Texas Tech, which will hopefully be coming up uh, tomorrow. But I, as I said, and I, I really don't want to make this game sound so simple, but I think this is absolutely going to be a battle of the front courts. Uh, what can Michigan do to make tech, that, that Texas A&M front court duo uncomfortable? And I think it has to be Wagner pulling those guys out onto the perimeter and making plays there. Um, he needs to get them out where they're going to have to use their foot speed. Um, my guess is A&M is going to switch on Wagner relatively often. Um, we'll, we'll see who they end up uh, putting on him. You know, is it going to be Robert Williams? Uh, I'm not sure. Is it going to be Davis? We'll have to see. But my guess is that battle is going to determine the game. I, I really believe that Wagner, I think, has to play well for Michigan to advance in this specific matchup. You know, he didn't really do that much last weekend for the Wolverines, but I think he does here because Texas A&M is a really tough defensive team. I'll just throw that out there for those of you who haven't realized that yet. They're 10th in defensive efficiency in the country. They're good outside the three-point line. They're good inside, and they block a lot of shots. If those big guys can just hang out under the rim, Michigan is not going to have much of a chance because Michigan is – they don't have the guys who can just finish over those type of defenders. So – Wagner needs to be able to pull them out um, and create some space there for Marr, Xavier Simpson, guys like that to be able to drive and get those easy opportunities inside. So I think it's really going to come down to that. What can Wagner do there? And 
The second one is really, you know, it comes back to Wagner again, but who wins that battle? Um, Michigan on the defensive boards, Texas A&M on the offensive boards, because I think Michigan's defense is good enough to, um, I'm not going to say shut down Texas A&M, but I think they're good enough to slow and slog down Texas A&M's offense. The question is, is Texas A&M going to get an extra, you know, 10 possessions, 15, 20 possessions because of the offensive rebounding? That's the question. If Michigan plays defensively how they've played for the last month, month or two, and cleans up on the defensive boards, I think they're in great shape uh, to win this game, barring something horrific happening on offense. But uh, I think that's the path to victory. Now, if Wagner isn't hitting shots, he can't create offensively, um, and Michigan's not getting those defensive rebounds, this is a very losable game. You know, I know a lot of Michigan fans are feeling pretty confident here. Ken Palm has this as a four-point spread. They, uh, you know, Michigan is it's just over a 60% odds uh, to win. The game's at 7.30 in Staples Center on Thursday night, and that's 7.30 Eastern. It's going to be an awesome one. You know, personally, I, I lean Michigan in this game, but A&M is more than capable of, of walking out with a win. And certainly, if Michigan plays how they did last week offensively, they're going to lose this game. It's, it's as simple as that. But if they play how they did in Madison Square Garden, yeah, they're, they're probably going to win this game, and they're going to have a great shot at advancing to the Final Four. But we'll see. Anyway, with that, my name is Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter, at TBendit. Make sure to check out BT Powerhouse this week. We have plenty of coverage coming on these games, along with uh, the NIT stuff, still wrapping up with the Penn State and Nittany Lions. So check us out. I appreciate everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.